Welcome back to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast, where experts and leaders in the wide world of IT discuss the industry and hard-earned career wisdom with your host, Barry Newkirk. Today's guest on Tech Leaders Talk is Will Sprang. Will is a technology and business visionary with both executive and hands-on experience. Will has a strong record of success in implementing worldwide SAP systems and a proven ability to create robust IT architecture and infrastructures while actively managing both cost and risk. A talented leader with broad experience, Will consults in strategic planning, budget planning and oversight, project management, IT operations, and more. I'm very pleased to welcome uh, my good friend and collaborator, Will Sprang, to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast. Uh, Will has a long history in IT and some uh, very interesting career stops. So, Will, thank you for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me, Barry. Excited to be here. We are, we are very excited as well. So, we'll just jump right in as we typically do. Um, these are uh, conversations with folks who have achieved a certain level of success, and we're trying to uh, use this as a mentor exemplar um, for younger folks in the IT industry. So, Will, uh, as we get started, tell us, how'd you grow up? How'd you get started in technology? Sure. Um, probably not a very conventional start, Barry. Um, born in South Dakota, grew up on a farm primarily for the first several years of my life, and uh, Moved to to Amarillo, Texas, where I spent the rest of my my youth uh, growing up there, um, and and of course you know, went through the normal childhood nerdy routines of uh, of uh, uh, you know working hard to to save money to buy the the latest uh, electronic gadget or uh, robot from Zenith Heath Zenith I think it was called or or um, uh, Commodore 64, TRS-80 at the time, you know, Radio Shack, like unlike probably most of the kids uh, at my age that time was, was, was my, was my store of choice, you know, if I could go shopping on the weekend kind of thing. So, um, but grew up with, with just, you know, probably insatiable uh, curiosity um, and appetite for technology and what it, what it would do, what it could do. Um, and, uh, you know, spent my years growing up there in Texas, uh, and of course, eventually graduated uh, high school and joined the the U.S. Army for a period of time, um, three years, where I spent a couple years in Europe and then a year back in the in the United States. So, yeah, that's that's kind of in a nutshell. So, uh, Amarillo by morning, George Strait, big fan. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> Amarillo was was the place, or actually, we lived in a in a small. Uh, area, a canyon, if you will, uh, halfway between Amarillo and Canyon, Texas, so Canyon High School. And uh, where were you born in South Dakota? Uh, I was born in Sioux Falls, uh, okay. South Dakota, but we lived in a, uh, a small, 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 small city uh, called the Smet, um, uh, which if you're familiar with the, the Little House on the Prairie uh, TV series back then, that's kind of where that whole thing was was put together and filmed, the whole lore wow. was wilder. Wow. Wilder Very things. Cool. Yeah. Very exciting cool. times. It sounded like you kind of caught the bug for tech, uh, middle school, high school. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say middle, middle school, um, all the way through high school. Um, it just, you know, as soon as it was available or I could, could get a book on something and read it and, uh, get my hands on it and play with it. I was always one of those, you know, it wasn't the cartoons weren't my thing. Comic books weren't my thing. Um, you know, hands-on erector sets, Lincoln logs, building, deconstructing, um, you know, any, anything I could do to, to tear something apart, figure out how it worked and put it back together uh, was my thing. And so <clears throat> you graduated high school, 
and you went in the army, were you an IT person in the army or did you do something different in the army? No, the, you know, my mother, uh, worked her entire career, um, in the judicial, uh, system, the legal, so federal judicial system. And another area of fascination for me, just, you know, from her telling her stories when she'd come home from work every day was, was the whole legal, legal side of the equation. So mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I, Oftentimes would go attend you know these federal federal trials and hearings and and there were some interesting cases that would come to these federal judges um, and so I thought you know what I think law enforcement's kind of where I, I may want to head what I want to do so of course being young seventeen at the time I think it was you know you can't you can't go into this this federal federal type of law enforcement you know FBI Secret Service U.S. Marshal Service uh, without being uh, twenty one. Uh, having a college degree, and of course, then the, the other the other benefit was you know if you if you had military service that um, added points to your uh, to your application for for uh, for those types of careers. So um, I went into the military um, with two requests. One was to go into the, the military police and get that law law enforcement experience there. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, to see the uh, see the world with you know guarantee that I would be outside of outside of the U.S. So. Um, those two things happened. I've spent you know three years as a, a military policeman, and, and it was cool and it was exciting, um, but it wasn't um, it wasn't my calling. I, I, I determined by the end of those end of those three years. Okay, were you in Germany then? I was in Germany for two years, and then back in El Paso for a year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so you 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 got out of the army and enlisted guy. You ETS as as they say. I was enlisted in the army too. So. Um, uh, I probably can dig up my ETS date if I wanted to, but, um, uh, what'd you decide to do once you got out of, uh, working for uncle Sam? Well, I, um, I got, I ended up getting married, uh, while I was in, in Europe. Um, and we started a family, um, pretty young. So I had a child, uh, once I uh, left the service. So of course the immediate requirement was no longer school and college. It was work. Um, yes. so we, re, uh, relocated to Dallas and I ended up taking a position with a, um, a federal regulatory bank, um, uh, called federal home loan bank of Dallas at the time. They were the people that, uh, you know, back in the eighties regulated all the savings and loans through that crisis, mm-hmm. um, and took a, took a security kind of role, if you will, uh, there. Um, and within a few weeks, um, the, the president of the, of the bank stopped by and just started a conversation with me and kind of asked me about my background and, and what, um, where, you know, kind of where I'd come from and, and, and what my interests were. And he ended up bringing me on to, to a much more personal role with him, um, his home security and, and doing some other things within the, within the bank there, um, to the point where he eventually, you know, decided to leave and open up his own savings and loan out in California. And he said, Will, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, Roy, I said, I'd, I'd like to be in IT. Um, and so he he asked the uh, vice president of IT at that time to, to take me under his uh, under his wing and um, and train me and, and, and work with me there. So that's, that's the start. That's how I got into it. Wow. So did you yeah. stay with the bank in Texas or did you go to California? No, I stayed with the bank in Texas. You know, okay. Roy went on and opened his thing. I, they brought in a, a you know a new president at the time. I don't recall who that was, but um, mm-hmm. from that that point forward, I was I was in the IT field and IT space, and I was kind of bored um, in the beginning with what I was doing from a security perspective. So I would help with the uh, some of the desktop PC kind of 
support work there. Um, but my first real job once once I was officially over in IT was doing some um, analytics um, programming and language uh uh, work with Focus, product called Focus and SAS, which I'm sure you've heard of. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, was able to get um, go to some training on that and, and and work for the next, I don't know, six months or a year on, in that area before transitioning over to main, mainframe programming. Okay. What did you program on the mainframe? It was COBOL CICS. And, you know, this is one of those points in your career where you just, you're extremely you know, when I look at my career and kind of how things have happened, I'm just very, very thankful um, for the people there. I mean, obviously, I didn't know anything. Um, I had a great um, aptitude for these these types of things, I think, but I didn't uh, have the knowledge. Um, and of course, I would work twice as hard just to, to, to prove myself at that point. You know, if, it, if it's supposed to take eight hours to develop something, then I, it may take me 16, even though eight of that's on my own time. I'm going to get it done, you know, kind of thing. So just to to work through that. But I was very, very thankful. You know, there were a number of people um, who took me kind of under their wing, worked with me, trained me, taught me. Um, um, and and uh, especially on the COBOL CICS mainframe programming thing, which was, was quite the learning curve for me at the time. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's amazing. Some of our younger listeners have probably heard uh, myths and tales of uh, all sorts about mainframes and um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're still here and rolling. Um, Sure. Uh, for sure. So, uh, COBOL CSCS is still, still a big thing, not as big as it was, but it's still hanging around and, uh, it's the foundation for a lot of systems, as you know. So that's interesting. How long did you, uh, were you there in, uh, that kind of capacity at the bank? I want to say it was, um, four years, roughly three to four years. Okay. You know, after that, um, we, um, I ended up moving to South Carolina. And it was at a point where I was going through, my wife and I were going through some, uh, some personal struggles. Um, she was from South Carolina um, and, um, you know, we had separated. She had, she'd moved back here and we decided to give it a go again. And so I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, we need to do that. Let's, let's, let's try it. So kind of just picked up and, and moved out here without a job at the time. You know, I had, uh, again, leaned on my my former contact at the um, at the bank there in Dallas, and said, "Hey, Roy, would you do you know anybody out in South Carolina that um, might be hiring, or that you could send a note over to?" Um, and and he did. None of those panned out, as it were. Um, so, but ended up um, um, interviewing and, and taking a position for a textile manufacturing company in Orangeburg, South Carolina. So, hmm. was living in Charleston and commuting back and forth to to Orangeburg for the next few years. And, and that was an interesting opportunity in that the company was actually immediately reported to a German company, which reported to, a, to an umbrella company in France. So, you know, I think I had a, on my, t- at, at the time on my resume that I spoke German, which may have been a bit of a stretch. Um, <laughs> you know, I did live there for a few years and I could manage a few words and, um, but between the guy that interviewed, interviewed me and, you know, flew in from Germany. And I remember sitting in this, this conference room and, and we liked each other, but his, his English was about like my German. And, but somehow we, we made it through and maybe it was the language barrier that actually got me hired. I don't know. Maybe it was just dumb luck, but um, they were looking for somebody to come in and just kind of greenfield startup in a completely new data center. Um, wow. Now they did have have parent company standards, uh, you know, that they, as far as the hardware and software and application side that they wanted to put in, but, 
from a purely PC networking uh, and data center, you know, heating, cooling, all those things that go with that. Um, that was uh, that was the first big role or task I had. And of course, hiring hiring people uh, there as well. So I mm. um, kind of lucked into that position as well. And and frankly, um, you know, it, it was it was awesome. It was a great experience. Uh, a lot of a lot of things I hadn't got to touch before. Wanted to touch. You know, a substantial budget to to go play with things and get things. And, and again, got to kind of go back to my roots and, 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 and work with, uh, with the company out of Europe. So it was, it was, a, it was a great experience. Very scary at the time, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've got a young child for sure. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I've yeah. lived that dream. Um, and, uh, and then how did you get to, to Apex? You, you migrated through uh, a couple of spots and you got to Apex tool. How did, how did that happen? You know, after the, the, the gig in Orangeburg, um, you know, the commute there and, and, you know, I saw it through to completion, but it, it was time to, to move on. My, my wife and I decided that Columbia was probably where we needed to be for her university uh, pursuits. Um, mm-hmm. She was working on her PhD at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and frankly, for, uh, for raising our child and what have you. So uh, we ended up moving to Columbia um, and of course the commute was no better from Columbia than it was from Charleston to Orangeburg. I ended up taking, um, taking a, uh, a role at a hospital up there. I found a position at a, um, in the medical field and another area with, you know, systems with, um, uh, AS 400s are, you know, an RPG 400, uh, pro programming and coding. And again, I'm not sure how I got brought into that at this point, uh, given my lack of experience in that area, but, uh, found it, you know, had another great mentor there that, um, that helped walk me through and, and, uh, and show me the ropes. And, and those were exciting and fun times for me. Spent a short stint there um, before I decided I just wanted more and, and maybe some broader experience and, and ended up going into a consulting field mm-hmm. and did three years as, as a consultant, very um, uh, kind of across the Southeast on a variety of different, different projects and different companies, um, which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, um, but then at that point, you know, I, I, was looking for something with less travel and to be back home again. And uh, I wound up taking a job for a, a manufacturing company called Cooper, Cooper Industries. Uh, one of their divisions was headquartered here in, in Lexington, South Carolina. And that was in 1995. And that was kind of the start of the majority of my career, if you will. You know, I spent 23 years, you know, with, you know, that division or corporate headquarters, um, or, you know, what eventually became Apex, Apex, um, tool group. What did you love about the consulting work that you did for that three-year stint? I think the, the freedom to, to, to go in, um, and, and have an audience at the top of the organization, um, and give your professional opinion, you know, which they're paying for without any consideration to, the political correctness of it, if you will, you know, right. just, just the facts kind of thing, you know? And I think at some of my, some point in my career, you know, you're, you're hampered by, I don't know what it is. It may be budgets. It may be political motives from, from other people in an organization you're working in or what have you. But I just liked the true freedom of number one, the number, the breadth of things you could touch technology and the, uh, and the people that you get to work with. And then the number two, just, just going in there and, uh, and, and having that audience at the C-suite level and talking to the decision makers um, and presenting them options. And then we're seeing that too to fruition, hopefully. Yeah. 
Yeah, that true independence. I don't have a dog in the fight. It's, these are the best yep. options. You pick A, B, or C, and that's your deal. And yeah, exactly. I'm, and I'm indifferent, and, and and we'll help you make those happen. Yeah, and that's that's what a good consultant can do. Is just hey, this is this is the way it way it lays, and let's see what happens. You went through. You eventually became CIO for Apex Tool. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit of a long process. Um, you know, I started off with. Um, with one of the divisions, uh, like I mentioned here in Lexington, a tools division. Um, and of course, one of the things facing us almost, you know, within the first few years of my time, there was this whole Y2K thing, if you recall, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of the fears around, around that and which kind of drove our, um, strategy at the time, which was to say, you know, we've got this Y2K thing facing us. We've we bought these other companies. We've got all these different ERP systems out there. Um, man, wouldn't it be nice to kind of consolidate those um, and have one ERP system and, um, and and address the Y2K issue, you know, coincidentally at the same time, but have one ERP system where all, you know, manufacturing facilities, distribution centers, et cetera, could talk to, talk to one another, know, you know, left hand know what the right hand's doing. So that was one of my largest, uh, you know, projects in, in the beginning. And that was at a time when, when the ERP system was called SAP. And that was at a time when, when SAP implementations were having more bad press than good press. Um, and so um, there were some, some trying times there, but, you know, we were very successful in doing that. And I think, you know, from a career turning point, um, very, um, it worked out well for, uh, for the team, for you know, for, for me personally, for the division leadership at the time and such that, you know, we were asked, eventually I was asked to, uh, to take on a broader role within Cooper Industries, which was, you know, headquartered out of Houston at the time. Cooper Industries at that point decided to say, you know, this, this, this sounds great to do it at a division level, but why don't we look at this from a corporate level, you know, and, and do it for all of our divisions worldwide. You know, and they were a large, large company, you know, six, six, six and a half billion uh, dollar company. I ended up taking a role there where I think the first role I started was with everything outside of the United States. Um, so implementing the non-US locations. Um, and again, one of the highlights of my career, thoroughly enjoyed that, thoroughly enjoyed uh, working with different uh, you know, countries, the cultures, the legal uh, requirements, statutory reporting requirements is, is a completely different uh, animal than, than what we were doing, had done on the domestic side of the things. And so did that for a number of years. And then I think I ended up taking, taking responsibility for all of, all of the implementation efforts, both domestic and international did that for, um, for a period of, you know, a number of years, um, took on, it wasn't, the title wasn't CTO, but it's kind of a CTO role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cooper Industries uh, and did that for a few years. And then at, at, at some point, you know, Cooper decided, well, we're going to split off. We're going to create a joint venture with a company called Danaher. We're going to split off our tools division and their tools division, marry them up. And oh, by the way, you know, we're going to have some Cooper personnel and some Danaher Corporation personnel over there as the new management team. Um, they needed a CIO. Um, I was approached and asked if I was interested. I interviewed for the role and ended up taking it. So from you know that 2010 timeframe through 2018, I was a CIO for, for that tool group. And how big, um, just to give our listeners <clears throat> some understanding, how global role, multiple facilities, can you give us some sense of headcount and that kind of stuff, Will? 
I think with Cooper, we were, um, I want to say at one point, close to 30,000 employees uh, worldwide. Um, don't quote me on that now. Um, with Apex Tool Group, it was closer to probably 8,000 employees worldwide. You know, I, I can tell you that between the two, two um, between my time uh, at Cooper slash Apex, you know, I implemented SAP in over 100 countries, though. Wow. I know some of those may have been just um, sales and distribution center or sales centers, rather, sales offices. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they were everywhere, you know, it's all throughout the Americas, um, Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific. So it was wow, exciting, exciting stuff. I bet. I bet. And tell us what kind of things are you doing currently? I'm currently um, consulting, um, consulting, uh, I guess, for the last three, you know, since 2018, I think it was. Um, back in that consulting role, loving it. I'm working for a um, South Carolina state agency um, uh, um, that serves um, kind of you know, our most needy citizens and, and very, very exciting and you know happy to be doing that. I uh, When I first took the role, there were a number of projects. Um, in fact, the, the CIO at the time that, that offered me the role with my background said, well, do you want to play in the application development space or do you want to play in the infrastructure and operations space? And I said, well, I don't know. I've been doing the application space for quite a while now. Let me go back and play in the inf- you know infrastructure and operations space. So um, there was a complete technology uplift, you know, uh, revamp of uh, outsourcing and uh, consolidating data centers. Mm-hmm. And doing a tech network technology refresh and kind of, frankly, just taking our, our, our hardware landscape of 20 plus years old and, and making it current again. So for the first few years that occupied a good portion of my time, I was also fortunate enough to get involved in the you know, kind of the state's cloud initiative and, and representing or being one of the representatives uh, from our agency. Uh, working, uh, working with them. And so it's been, you know, been involved in cybersecurity more than I ever have, you know, got to work with some, still getting to work with some really bright people in that, on that front. Uh, that was not an area where I really had any uh, significant experience. So that's, again, still learning and still, still enjoying that. Let's go back to a couple of things you talked about. Initially, the president of the bank sounds like he kind of took you under his wing and uh, you became kind of one of his guys is the way I would term that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so he was probably a mentor for you. Were there, can you talk a little bit about him and maybe some other mentors that kind of helped navigate you through your career thus far, Will? He was definitely one of my mentors. I think if I if take a couple steps back, Barry, there were people I was close to in my high school. There were a couple of high school teachers that were significant in my life. Um, let me let me take it one step back. My grandparents were probably very significant um, mm. mentors in my life. You know, we did move to Texas, but I went back to um, to South Dakota and worked on the farm and uh, for during the summers by choice. You know, um, I loved loved that lifestyle, loved that peace. Didn't understand why we. We had to get up at four in the morning and listen to the Weather Channel every morning, but now I do. Um, but you know, it was it was the, the work ethic there and the values and, and just the moral compass, and it's so they were a huge influence. A couple of teachers in high school were, were a huge influence, and then um, person or so in the military. But most of my mentors were you know, close people that became close close friends, people that mm. you just you look at them and you meet them and you immediately respect them. So mm-hmm. um, the the people that took me up under their wing, you know, at a time when it's like, who's this kid that 
wants to encroach on my territory. So, well, let, let's go back a little bit in your story. I, uh, one of the <clears throat> themes of our podcast and the conversations that we've had with leaders from around the country is there seems to be a fairly clear transition point, pivot point, Will, where <clears throat> somebody went from being a hands-on IT practitioner doing the work, whether it's coding or <clears throat> taking care of security or hardware, or what have you, and they moved into management or what I would call leadership. Um, so can you talk to us about that transition from um, hands-on practitioner to uh, being a leader? Mm, I don't think it was an overnight kind of thing, uh, Barry. I think it just it just happened uh, over over time. You know, mm -hmm. I think for me, um, it, it probably happened during those um, those late nineties, early two thousands um, time frame where where we were doing great things and, and getting a lot of exposure and visibility for for better or for worse uh, mm -hmm. during that time and being you know, kind of thrust into those, those leadership roles and people, people at the top of the, the food chain now looking, looking at you and, and, and you know, having, I don't know if the respect's the right word, but certainly paying more attention to you and, and what you're accomplishing and doing that. And then um, inviting you into, you know, more um, of the strategic uh, discussions, you know, mm -hmm. going forward you know, mm -hmm. at the, at the, in the boardroom kind of thing. So um this, it was a gradual thing over time, at least in my case. Yeah. No, I, I think it is for most people. I, I don't think it's yeah. a, a black and white transition, turn off, turn on. Uh, I think it does kind of baby steps is what the way yep. I call it sometimes. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me ask you something different. <clears throat> when you were a young uh, IT professional, what's something that you undervalued at that point in your life? that you very much highly value now? Without a question, relationships with um, others. And and when I say that, I mean, certainly, and I, and I hate to say this, but it's kind of the truth. If it benefited me at the time and I saw something for me out of it, you know, um, that I could gain, then it's like, sure, sure you want to have those relationships. Mm -hmm. But just relationships, you know, Barry, for the sake of having relationships in general, Right. Um, I just it, it did not value um, or did not see the value at the time of those. And you know, as I've gone through my, my life and my career, and that's, that's probably true in my personal life as well, sure. to be honest. I mean, sure. relationships um, just I severely undervalued them and, and, you know, they mean the world to me now. And and frank, frankly, those are the things I think that when we're when we're gone, um, that, that will be, um, be what people remember. So. So let's flip that coin on the other side. What's something that you overvalued when you were younger in your career that you don't kind <clears> of <throat> think holds much water today? Title, status, um, you know, I, <laughs> climbing that that corporate ladder um, and, and using that as the measure of success. I think so. Mm. That that would have to be it for me. I heard somebody say. Um, a long time ago that um, most people build their careers trying to climb the corporate ladder and they realize that when they get to the top, the ladder's on the wrong wall. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's very lonely at the top. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, you can't, get there. it can't be. That's for sure. Yeah. So what's your proudest professional accomplishment? I am very proud of the work that the team 
that we did, you know, at a time with the ERP implementations that at a time things weren't going well for many companies, you know, if mm-hmm. you picked up any of the trade regs at the time, you could just read about horror story after horror story. So I'm very proud of those. But I think as far as what is fulfilling to me, Barry, and if I look back in my career and I can't point to any one person, but there are several people that um, I've developed along the way that have come to me or that I've taken in from outside of, of IT or with, from within, but also from outside of IT that um, were in other areas of the business or had careers that weren't fulfilling or as lucrative, you mm-hmm. know, as what they eventually became to be in IT. So that development of people has been probably my most rewarding um, mm. experience period uh, in my yeah. career. And it's happened on multiple occasions. And, and frankly, maybe it's a, it's a pay it, pay it forward and pay it backward kind of thing. Right. Because people took me in under their wing at a time Absolutely. when they didn't have to. And yeah. for whatever reason, that's, that's just been very fulfilling to me. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite things about my job as a recruiter talent acquisition person is to take somebody who, maybe it's not in IT or is in the wrong job and <clears throat> convince, uh, coerce, um, you know, uh, bully a client to say, Hey, we'll talk to this guy. And, right. uh, and they, and to see them fly. And I've got a example <clears throat> about 10 or 15 miles from where I sit today. And this guy was a church uh, music pastor. And now he's been promoted five times in his IT organization and is making three times what he used to make and just loves the whole gig and, you know, exactly changed yep. his life. It's, it's, it's so cool to see that happen, you know? Yeah. And to watch their progression as they develop and, and, and move through their career and their lives and, and how that changes their lives. Honestly, it's, it's very fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let me ask you the different question on the, what are, what's one of the more proud moments of you on your personal life. I know you a very deep family, man. You have lots of great friendships around the country. Um, what's a, what's a proud uh, personal thing for you, Will? Man, I mean, my, my family is, is what I'm most proud of, right? My, my relationship with my children, um, my relationship with my wife, um, the, the, I guess, you know, the fact that we were able to, I grew up in a, in a, in a poorer family, you know, middle, lower middle class. Um, but, uh, so being able to, to work hard and provide for them and give them the opportunities, you know, that, that maybe some of us, my brothers and I didn't have, um, certainly makes, makes us proud, but I'm just proud of what they've become, you know, that they've, Mm -hmm. we're not perfect. My wife and I are not perfect. Uh, We're not the best role models at all times for sure. Um, I don't think most parents are. Um, but listen, through it all, they've, uh, they're all three doing very, very well. And frankly, that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. I, I had the great uh, benefit of knowing your family a little bit and, uh, yes, you I, do. Yeah. I, uh, I would agree. They're, they're wonderful. Uh, y'all have done a great job. What are some core principles, um, of yours, uh, that kind of, you feel like were helpful to you during your journey, both personal and professional? You said curiosity early in your story and, um, you know, know your work ethic and that kind of stuff. So work ethic, you know, uh, tenacity, um, you know, seeing things through, not giving up, um, not being afraid to fail, Barry. Um, 
you know, people ask me at times, you know, if you could go back and do it all over again, would you do the same thing? Um, and the answer is kind of yes and no. Yes, I would love, I would stay in this field, but I would go back probably and take some more chances, you know, initially early on and, and something more entrepreneurial where, you know, try it while you're young in your life. And mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you fail, you fail and pick, pick the pieces up, move on kind of thing. Whereas I think at least for me personally, as, as conservative as I am in some respects, you know, it's just, um, didn't, didn't want to take those ch chances when, when I needed that paycheck, you know, to take sure. care of the family at some sure. point. So, sure. um, but tonight, you know, communications, another core value. When I say communication, it's not so much, um, I'm, I'm speaking more to the listening side of things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I've always considered myself a very observant person, somebody who will sit and be quiet in the, in the conference room and just observe and listen and, and take it all in. So I think that's, for me, it's probably benefited me some, um, on, on the flip side, I've probably haven't been as, as good at, um, on the outgoing side of communications, you know, and, and reaching out, uh, if I didn't have to, or didn't need to at the time. So. You know, I think that self-inflection too, just looking at yourself and um, you know, what, what could I do better learning from those, those around you. Yeah. That's that curiosity again. I mean, yep. you know, yeah. um, stay curious, my friend. That's stay right. curious. That's a good, it's <laughs> a good one. Do you have any, based on your experience in um, all the places that you've been and all the places that you've been successful, do you have any thoughts <clears throat> about where technology's headed, Will? Um, yeah. I, no, I don't. I mean, I, I'm excited. Um, it, it, it is scary and exciting to me, and, and I can't wait. I wish I wish I were going to be on this planet another hundred years to see. I look back, um, you know, in my grandparents' time, and then my my time here, you know, and then I look mm -hmm. at my children's time here, and, and and what they but they're not even aware of, and what they're seeing, and what they're going to see. And it's like it's I'm I'm very excited for it. I'm not, you know, one of these don't have a crystal ball and I wouldn't be good at reading it if I did have one probably. So I just, um, it's exciting and, and, and yeah, maybe a little bit scary, but, um, I, I can't wait for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, starting, uh, working on hardware and then mainframe and now working on cloud and all the security stuff, you've seen quite the, quite the <clears throat> evolution from where it was to where it is. And, you know, uh, if, uh, whatever that law is that, technology speeds up every two years or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a lot of innovation happening. It seems to be right now. Oh yeah, for sure. And just keeping up with that, you know, is, 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 a, is a task in and of itself. And I think, you know, in our field, you have to, you have to, uh, you have to want to do that. You have to, you need to do that if you want to stay relevant um, and just to stay up on it. And, and listen, it's, it's, it's a challenge, right? Because the, the velocity or pace of change is, is, unlike anything I've seen in my career. So it's, it's, it's a challenge for any, any, even, even any one person, I think just to see every, you know, keep up with everything on a holistic level. Yeah. Uh, talking about keeping up with change. Are there uh, certain books that you read certain, uh, wh where do you get your information from? How do you continue to intellectually sharpen the, the saw as they say? Yeah, it's a probably a variety of sources. I do, you know, listen to a ton of audiobooks and, and, and read, read, read the hard copies in my hands occasionally. <laughs> um, but I, you know, my, my source of obviously a lot on the internet, right. Sure. Um, Ted talks researching, you know, if I'm at work or I'm in a meeting and, uh, some, some, somebody brings up some new word or new term I haven't heard before, I'm going to 
I'm going to go back to my office or I'm going to go go home and I'm going to research that and understand it and find out it's like, what are they talking about? So I don't, you know, so I do know what they're talking about. I mean, so um, a ton, a ton from there. And yeah, I'd read, um, yeah, I've, I've done, I think in my, my career, all of the, the Stephen Covey kind of books and all the, the, the time management and project management and, you know, career and seven healthy habits kind mm-hmm. of books. But um, yeah. excuse me for me, not that personal development's really ever done, but for me, it's more just on the, on the technology front and, and keeping up with that, which is a, a full-time job. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot out there. So let me, uh, let me pivot for a second. Uh, tell me how you recharge. How do you, um, kind of keep your batteries, uh, in a good place so that you're ready to attack the day, attack the week, attack the month? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I've got a couple hobbies, you know, very, I, it, where you just shut off, um, shut off everything. I've, I'll spend time in the in the shop um, working on something, but you know my probably my passion outside of, of work is is uh, sporting clays and, and, and doing some shooting there. So I spend time doing that when I can. Um, uh, flying, you know, I'm a, a pilot as well. I don't have an airplane any longer, but there was a period of time when uh, I just head out to the head out to the hangar and pull the airplane out and go shoot holes in the air for a while just to. <laughs> Don wine and, and, and debrief. So just, um, yeah, I've, I've got more interest than I have money. So it's, it's, uh, there's no shortage of that, but you know, obviously it's, it's always that balance, right? I mean, there's less probably family commitments now than there were during when my kids were at home and young. Um, sure. but you know, it's also a pleasure just uh, catching up with them and, and their progress and, and their different areas of life through, yeah. throughout the week. kind of thing. Absolutely. I think it's good. One of the things I realized that we haven't been talking to some of our guests about is how do they recharge? Uh, we did a couple of last few times, but, um, you know, I, I know enough about you to kind of bait you into that question. So, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I will tell you that I think during COVID people really connected with, Hey, how do I, how, how can I recharge the batteries? And, um, you know, I found my, my things and, uh, Tracy's found her things and it's good when people have things, you know, all, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Completely yeah. agree, Barry. Yeah. We all know COVID, that. COVID in a lot of respects, there was a lot of eye opening uh, revelations, I think, you know, for a lot of people during that time when you're spending basically 24 seven at home mm-hmm. uh, with your, with your spouse yeah. um, and uh, all that time. And you can reflect on things and you take up things. I took up gardening, I mean, doing some things, you know, sneak out to Home Depot in my mask and get some, get some things and come back and, and plan them and do it. And of course, all your home improvement projects, but, um, yeah. but no, it, I think you're right. I think COVID did, did have a much yeah. larger impact uh, than, than just all bad stuff. You know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. There's a lot of good that came out of it, um, did for me. And I think for a lot of other people too. So, um, yes, sir. uh, so how can we learn more about you or your work or, um, keep up with Will Sprang as he uh, climbs the next mountain? <laughs> there's not much to keep up with Barry. I mean, you think people, I mean, you could re- LinkedIn, I guess it's probably that thing. And if people want to talk or meet or um, reach out to me on LinkedIn and okay. you know, have coffee and talk or yeah. set That'd up a meeting cool. and go from there. So. That'd be great. That'd be great. Is there anything, uh, just curious, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? I don't think so, Barry. I can't think of anything else to be honest. Okay. Cool. Will Sprang, thank you for uh, 
giving us insights and uh, sharing your experiences with us. It's very instructive and very helpful. And uh, we just so much appreciate the investment of time that you've given us today. Thank you. Hey, Barry, thank you. Thank you for having me. and Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us today on the Tech Leaders Talk podcast. Learn more about our show at techleaderstalkpodcast.com and follow us on social media. We are Tech Leaders Talk podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we're on Twitter at Tech Leaders Pod. Subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. And please share this episode with at least one person in your life who would benefit. Until next time, tech leaders, keep talking.